the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. We are an iHeart station, and I am on the web worldwide, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time. You can reach me by Googling am860theanswer.com. That's am860theanswer.com. And we are... ...have something to say, and you're interested in the topic... We're at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. So we'll jump into it this morning. I'm off of politics today. I'm going to go back to medicine. I had an interesting situation this week. A patient who I have taken care of in the hospital uh, multiple times decided that she no longer wanted to see her physician up in Largo long drive for her. She's closer to my hospital. And she is uh, a real character and a real sad lady in a lot of ways. She's a frequent flyer. Uh, We call the people that keep coming to the ER and wanting to be readmitted frequent flyers. They're in and out. And she's been a lifelong smoker and has suffered the consequences of that bad lung disease on oxygen, still huffing and puffing. And I suspect she has an underlying history of asthma as well. The family brought her in to see me, and she wanted to switch. She doesn't say a whole lot, although she does give demands frequently in the hospital. She'll say, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And so the family was concerned that she may have some early dementia. Tells me that she stares in the mirror for 30 to 40 minutes at a time and won't answer anybody, won't respond. She sleeps a lot. And she's not really engaging with the family, not really in it with them, which is difficult for for the family to understand. And so I asked her, I said, why do you stare into the mirror and not answer? What are you doing? She says, I'm looking to see how ugly I've become. And she really has aged way past her years because of the heavy smoking. And you can see that there was a a pretty face under there at some point. And here she is, very 
thin and haggard looking, wrinkled face, oxygen on, hair stringy, relatively unkempt, although the family does try to keep her a little neat and clean. And I said to myself, is this dementia? So we did our little dementia screen. It's a, it's a little five or six word questionnaire that we ask people. It, it's a little form that is given out to all the doctors that see patients. And it basically tests short-term memory. So we'll say three words like uh, coconut, peanut butter, and orange juice. And we'll say, we want you to repeat that to me now. And you get so many points for repeating that or not repeating that, you lose points. So if people have problems remembering that short term, within you know 30 seconds of when you tell that to them, then that's an, a symptom that there's something going on in the brain that's organic and would be indicative of dementia. And then we draw a clock a circle and we say, all right, now put the numbers in the clock in the correct order. And so you see if they can do noon, 12, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock and nine o'clock. And you get a point for that. And if you can't do it, and then you don't get points. And you can usually tell that there's a lot of disorganization in the brain by simple testing like that. We'll also use an address like my office address. 6399 38th Avenue North. Remember that. I'm going to ask you that in a few minutes. Repeat it a couple of times. And that's another test. And we also ask, do you know what year it is? What month it is? And what time is it roughly? Is it morning, afternoon, evening? Is it close to noon or supper? Uh, we also can use counting backwards from 20. So say, so can you count backwards from 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15? Can you say the months of the year in reverse order? Can you say them in normal order, January, February, March, April, May? Now tell me the name and address, or the address rather, that I gave you earlier, 6399 38th Avenue North. signs of dementia. Now remember, depression can look like dementia too. People can be so depressed that they're not engaged and parts of their brain are not turning on and not functioning so that their short-term memory may be impaired, their willingness to interact or to remember short-term events is absent. But with the clock drawing and uh, some of the other questions we ask, like counting backwards from 20, if the person can be engaged, then we can get a pretty good idea of whether or not there's dementia. Of course, this is a simplified family practice approach, but it's a good one, and it's necessary, and it's helpful. It helps us guide it in treatment. So I sent one of my girls in with this little test, and I said, let's check and see if she really is demented. Family saying she's demented. Well, she passed with flying colors. She didn't have any problem. So it was not dementia. So I'm back to depression, this, this black cloud that hangs over people. 
It can be uh, a sudden onset depression, like with the loss of a loved one or uh, being fired from our job or having some situational crisis arise. It can be long-term, what we call endogenous, big fancy word that just means it's in your brain, it's been there a long time, we don't know why, at least not yet. It can be due to chemical imbalances in the brain, and this is treatable. Now, dementia, we can slow down the progress of the disease, and we can give some short-term memory back with certain medications, but in general, dementia is a progressive disease, and there's a number of reasons for dementia. Everybody knows about Alzheimer's disease. That's a big deal. And everybody knows about brain damage, brain injuries, alcohol, toxins that can poison the brain and cause dementia. We've all seen these things. But there's a number of other diseases that can cause dementia that are important to think about. And in our practice down here in, in Florida, in St. Petersburg, Florida, where we have the oldest population percentage-wise in the, of any city in the world, we see a lot of small vessel disease. What's small vessel disease? That's uh, damage to little blood vessels deep in the brain that are about the size of your hair. And there's thousands and thousands of them. And you can see this with high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol and gout and inflammatory processes like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. You can see these little blood vessels get inflamed. They'll thicken up. They'll clot off. And on the surface of the brain, there's plenty of blood. And the nerve cells, the gray matter, that little thin area that we all refer to as that thinking part of our brain, the gray matter, that, those cell bodies, they stay alive. That's still functional but they have these long tails that go down into the brain and connect with other switch switchboard operators to carry messages back and forth and tell the body to move or sit or go to sleep or whatever. And the tails are killed. They're killed by the lack of blood flow from these little skinny, winny little arteries that feed them. So the nerve cells are working, but there's no connection with the rest of the brain. The surface of the brain is active and thinking, but there's no connection. Movement problems and balance and cognition thinking problems, uh, incontinence, peeing in your pants and uh, stumbling, shakes, tremors. It can look like almost anything. And it's fairly common. In fact, I would say it's more common than Alzheimer's, although the Alzheimer's Society says, no, Alzheimer's is more common. They're now including small vessel disease in their differential. There's other things like Parkinson's disease, Lewy body disease. There's a whole host of problems that can damage the brain and cause dementia. And so this is something that we have to rule out when we're looking at older people with depression. And so for depression, what do we do? Well, we ask questions like, do you feel helpless and hopeless? Do you feel that life is not worth living? Are you looking forward to tomorrow or 
Are you dreading tomorrow? Do you cry frequently? Are you sleeping a lot or are you not sleeping if you're in anxious depression? Are you having trouble getting daily tasks done, forgetting what to do, distracted, not wanting to get out of bed and get dressed? Or if you do feel aimless and hopeless and sit down on the couch and vegetate, do you think about hurting yourself or killing yourself? And of course, that makes it a much more serious process when somebody is thinking about hurting or killing themselves. And I've seen this not only as a physician, but also within my own family, and have even lost people to suicide, people that were close to me or I was close to them. My dad told me a story. There was a doctor that he had been friends with, hallway friends, you know, passing in the hospital and speaking and saying hello. And he had passed him in the hallway a couple of times one week and had said hello, and the guy didn't answer him. And he thought, that son of a gun, why is he doing this to me? And a few weeks later, the guy shot himself in the head and killed himself. Doctor, busy doctor. And Dad said, you know, you never know what's going on inside of somebody. And he said, Bill, you have to, you have to stop and think before you get upset with somebody what's going on inside their head that they're not responding in a way that you feel is appropriate. And I'm sure that depression has broken up a lot of relationships because the person who is depressed uh, is not responsive and the other person in the relationship, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a lover or whatever, becomes impatient and starts pushing and saying things like, what's wrong with you? Why won't you talk to me? Sound familiar? I think that may be uh, the universal wife reply, but most of the time that's just that we guys are ignoring the wife or the girlfriend or whatever so that we can get done what we have to get done. But there are times when that sort of pushing is too much for somebody who is depressed to handle. And so we have to think about how, how can we help this person? How can we reach them? Are they depressed? Do we need to get some help from a doctor or a psychologist or a therapist? And this is a big problem. It's a big problem, and it's a big problem at all stages of life, but certainly for adolescents and young adults and also for the elderly. It becomes a major part of the psyche, a major part of the landscape for a lot of folks in these two age groups. And teenagers are tough to read. We all know that because the hormones are flowing and they're moody and throwing themselves on the couch crying one minute and the next minute it's the best day of their life and frequent changes and plans and friends come and go and so on and so forth. And it's a lot of stress. And, of course, as people get older and they start losing some of their ability to function, their eyesight has problems, they're not as strong as they used to be, the upper body strength starts to go. Short-term memory starts to fade in some of us as we get a little bit older. Even though long-term memory is good and our ability to think rationally and solve problems remains. Or we're more easily overwhelmed. But we need to stop and think. Is this person 
this friend of mine, this lover, this wife, this companion? Are they depressed? Am I missing something here? So we take them to the doctor and we say, something's not right. And a lot of times people will resist. They don't want to go to the doctor. They don't want to be seen as being weak because depression is seen as weakness or at least has been up until recent years when we've discovered more about the brain and the brain chemistry. One of the problems with the brain is it's not like a piece of skin that you can easily biopsy, and most people are okay with that, and the little biopsy heals up in a few weeks. It's hard to get people to hold still and let you drill a hole in their head and take a punch biopsy of their brain. They don't seem to like that for some reason, although it's not really that painful uh, because the brain has no sensory nerves in it. There's a lining around the brain that has sensory nerves. And if that gets inflamed, like with meningitis, that really hurts. But to stick a needle in the brain doesn't really cause any pain at all. But it's still hard to get people to hold still for that. I never understood that. I've asked several patients, do you mind if I do a brain biopsy? Uniformly, they all say no. Go figure. So then we have to approach this through the windows of the brain, the eyes, the ears. And we have to ask questions and we have to see what's going on and we have to learn how to be empathetic and yet figure out what the problem is. So the first thing we ask is, we ask, is there a family history of depression? Anybody else in the family depressed? Well, yeah, grandpa had a problem and dad tried to kill himself and so on and so forth. And then we, we have to stop and say, well, is it possible that you're having some of the same symptoms? And you know, this is a chemical imbalance in the brain. And this is an important thing because if you're feeling like you're helpless and hopeless, you're not going to get very far in life. If everything's looking negative or you feel particularly stressed by problems that most people handle okay, or if you've had a major life crisis like the death of a loved one or a job change or you lost all your money at Churchill Downs on Derby Day. What what did I say? Did I say somebody lost money on Derby Day? <laughs> and then major illnesses like heart attacks and strokes or cancer can trigger depressions. And it makes it a little bit more questionable or brings up more concerns about depression. Certain medications can cause depression, alcohol, drugs, and it can occur for no reason at all because it may just be something that you inherited from your family, that you may have this imbalance of chemicals genetically and you need some help. We got Will from Sebring. What's up, Will? How you doing, buddy? Hey, how you, how you doing, man? I, uh, I periodically, thanks for taking my call, by the way. Um, yeah, I like I periodically suffer from depression. It's I take like omegas and stuff that I I think it helps, and some some stuff for your uh, open up your uh, try to level things. It's after my dad died stuff. I've been depressed and I I, I don't know, man. I, sometimes I sometimes I struggle, good doctor. Well, that that's uh, something a lot of us struggle with, and I. Well, I no, I I understand. I don't mean I don't want a big pity party or nothing. It's, no, just... no, but I, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my story. My story well, is that I come from a family of of depressives, and my father tried to commit suicide. Uh, I've had 
sister who tried to commit suicide. We have some mental illness in the family. Of course, yours truly is absolutely perfect. But so at, at one point after a marriage broke up in the early 90s, I said, you know, this is not working. And I started on one of the SSRIs, one of the new antidepressants called sertraline. And I've been on that since that time. And it has really and truly changed my life. Uh, I've also had some problems with impulsivity, and, and I'm sure Bill doesn't believe that, but uh, it's true. I have, and I also started a low dose of amitriptyline, uh, old-time Elevil at bedtime, which helps with chronic pain because I broke my neck and had a fusion and blah, 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 blah. So all these things have added up in my life, family history, situational problems, uh, impulse control, on and on, and I was very depressed for a lot of my life adolescence was miserable. I would never go back and be young again. I'm happy being where I'm at in life and look forward to continuing to grow old. Well, that's about you, the, the that's medications good. helped tremendously. Okay. I've heard, I've heard sometimes I could have a, rever a reverse reaction, like a Prozac would make some people uh, happy and go lucky and stable. And some people, they like to whack, go blow their brains up. It's creepy. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a problem with adolescence in particular in young adults, and I've seen this in, in a person I was very close to who shot himself at age 25, and he had been under psychiatric care and been taking the antidepressants, and then he stopped them suddenly. And this is not uncommon in young people and uh, young adults and teenagers. You know, they feel invincible. They feel like the medication's not necessary, whether it's depression or diabetes or whatever disease it is. When you're a teenager, young adult, it's hard to, to be different from the crowd and to not be perfect, and they'll stop it. And when you do stop antidepressants like that suddenly, you can sink into a severe depression, so you have to be weaned off of it over time in order to see how you're going to do without it. That's, that's not like true in, for... That's any I'm addiction, sorry. right? I mean, I would assume it would be opioids or uh, cocaine or any uh, heavy, heavy, heavy drug. It's not addictive. Uh, the opioids will attach themselves to certain receptors in the brain and stimulate a feeling of, of, of no pain. But what the antidepressants, the SSRIs do is they block the reuptake of a, nor of a natural brain hormone. And as that happens, the production will drop a little bit in the nerve cells that make this hormone. Well, and like the, do dopamine and serotonin and all that stuff? Yep, yep. And it's not that you're going to go into withdrawal and, and crave your antidepressant. It's that you got to give your brain time to build back up. So you got to wean off of it slowly. You cut it down over several months. And then the brain, as long as your intake of food and nutrition and sleep and all those other things are, are in place, exercise, whatever, then the brain will gradually build up. And most people, their serotonin and their norepinephrine levels back to normal levels. Now, that's not true with everybody. There are some people who genetically, they don't have enough. They don't make enough. They're deficient in the cells or they're deficient in the release of this of these hormones in the brain. So those are the people who have the long-term depressions that doesn't really seem to be tied to anything. They had a good childhood, they've had a decent job, but they've always felt low and inferior to other people and, and sad and blue. We even see it in what we call the seasonal affective disorder, 
which is a lack of sunshine. And this is pretty common up north, and I see this in my family. And I moved to Florida in part because I did not want to have to deal with the winter depression because we have more sunlight down here, you know. Well, and I'm, you I'm, can, sta- I'm standing, I'm standing dead center in the, the middle of it right now. Hey, um, do, do you think you could get depressed by um, like giving, like like pouring, like wearing your like your heart on your sleeve and not getting what you feel like you could get back from, like you should get something back more than. What some people like, I I don't know how to to phrase it. Like, yeah, I think that we all feel uh, when we're down, we all feel that way from time to time. But when it becomes a, a chronic thing, then that's part of depression that we feel that the world is unfair, that people aren't responding to us the way we respond to them, and uh, that there's an inequity in, in relationships. And this is all part of depression. And again, the 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 wonderful. The, the, the miracle that has occurred in my lifetime are the SSRI, the new generation of antidepressants, which have helped me and hundreds of people that I know, thousands they, um, of people. They're, they're not horribly expensive, are they? I mean, see, how, how could I? No, no, they're, they're the sertraline's the old time, uh, it, it's old time now because it's 20 or 30 years old, but it's, it's cheap. You know, you can, it's five bucks for 90 days or something like that. It's oh, generic. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go pick some up. Is there a, is there any risk at all? Or is they're pretty uh, commonly used and pretty good. For they're, right. they're in common use. The main thing is if somebody has uh, manic depressive illness where they swing between depression and mania or over behavior. It's it's psychotic in the sense that they're they they think there's nothing wrong with them and that everything's okay and they become impulsive and they gamble and they spend money or they they go out and have go on a sexual binge and they're not even drunk just various things like that uh, that can indicate manic depressive illness and in, in that case then we want to start with something to help control the mania first because the antidepressants are going to make you feel better and that may trigger some of the manic side of this manic depressive illness. So we, we have to be a little bit careful, and we like to take a history, and we like you it, to it, come Any way you could sign off for me, I'll just, I'll just go just go to uh, go, go see a, a doc or something. Or, I mean, I don't know, well, you I don't can, know where to you go. Know. I've, never, I've, never, I've, never, I've never really reached out like this about, about you know, I'm not, I'm not chronically depressed, but I feel sad. Uh-huh. You don't, yeah, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to justify it. I mean, this this is something that happens. It happened to me. It happens to a lot of people, and uh, you can always come to the office, and we'll fix you up as a patient. I don't know if, how far is Sebring from St. Pete. What's it about? Forty five uh, minutes. That's about, about ninety miles. Probably, it's probably, yeah, it's like ninety minute drive. Ninety. Well, probably probably a couple hours. Did St. Pete's a little further than Tampa? Uh, you were a truck driver, you? aren't you? Didn't you tell me no, you were no, a truck driver? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not a truck driver right now. I'm kind of a home, kind of a home. I take care. I take care of a couple old folks. Right oh, okay. Now. Well, then yeah. come on. Well, over. Which is kind of which is kind of depressing too. But I love. Yeah. It. yeah. <clears throat> it's not easy taking care of other people, especially for guys. Uh, we're not. We're not emotionally built Yeah, I mean, they don't get around so good, you know. And that's kind of depressing. It makes me think. It makes me think of what what's going to happen to me one day. Sometimes I see. Is, I, see is I, I see my. I see myself in them a little bit. But um, well, well, listen. You gave me. You gave me a, a lot of information. Are you still there? 
yeah, I'm still here, but I want oh, you to come to the office so we can sit down and talk and you can see me face to face. I mean, yeah, the radio is one thing, but it's still a little impersonal. You should come on over, man, and call the office and we'll make you an appointment. Yeah, okay, man. That sounds, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, we can sit down and talk about it. You know, it's not easy yeah, I mean, taking I mean, care I mean, of all the people. I mean, if you were depressed, as you, you know, you, you, you said you had some the history and everything, and you feel fantastic. I, I want to feel that way, too. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not all the time. In the evenings when the medicine wears off and I'm tired, I, you know, I, I start feeling a little down, but I'd get busy. And uh, there's things that we can do, not only medication-wise, but also in our personal lives and in our activities and and check our behaviors that are not helpful and destructive and pick up on those behaviors that are good. I'm struggling with the food now. Well, I'm telling you, that's a good problem. That's another thing. See, see I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't eat all that, that good when I'm uh, depressed. I, I don't have an appetite. It's, I just, I wish I could shake it off. Man. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, and that's that's a sign. I need, of to, I need I need I need to talk to somebody, and that's why I called you because I know you you'd listen. Yeah, come on in. I will. All right, we got Pryor. Is Pryor Smith online? Did I see that, or is he just listening? Uh, Bill, did he call in, or is he just online? Okay, he's just online. He's probably listening in. But will yeah, buddy. Well, t- I mean, can't hurt. Try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to t- keep taking it. It's not going to kill you. No, no, it's not going to kill me. But depression can. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's you're no good to anybody if you're dead, and you're no, no good to no, anybody no, if not, you can't if you don't feel good about yourself. No. If you don't get fed, if you don't get fed, then the people you're taking care of are not going to get fed. So you have a responsibility to yourself first. And then to the responsibilities that you have taken on secondly. So get your butt over here, boy. You hear me? Yes, sir. That's an That's order from Dr. Bill. I'm the That's general. You're the private. That's get right. over here. Call. Yes, sir. Here, you got your pencil? Paper? Um, well, well, hold on. Hold well, on, hold get, on. Bill, okay, yeah, I'll keep talking while you get something here. All right. So, like Will was saying, Signs of depression include loss of interest in things you like to do, feeling sad and irritable, or not really yep. feeling like you're doing a good job. You got a pen? Yeah, yeah I'm getting, I'm getting, getting some paper okay. right here. We we can feel empty, not enjoy anything. We feel hopeless. Well, I know you lose, you lose interest, like you said, in, in stuff you used to love to do. Yeah, you lose the sexual desire and interest. Lose that warm feeling of being with family and friends. You ready? Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, I got a pen, Doctor Doctor Handelman. Seven two seven. Okay. Three seven two seven. Three eight seven. Seven two seven three eight four. One six four one one. Three eight four. Go ahead with the last the last four digits. Six four one one sixty four eleven. Okay. All right, man. I got to go to break here, bud. Will you, get, you do, get your butt over? Get your butt over here. That's an order. Okay. You get okay, buddy. You hang right, in there. Bye. I'm with you. I will. I know. I got to run right. and get a cup of coffee now, guys. I, I'm 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 feeling sad and blue, and I need a little juice after hearing Will's problems. I, I just I want to reach out there and give him a big hug. But I will do that right after the break. This is Doctor Bill, your Radio MD. A hot 
With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Waiting to hear President speak, uh, President Trump rather speak in Saudi Arabia, a major address this morning to the Muslim world. Meanwhile, the president's blueprint for the 2018 budget year is set to come out on Tuesday. It's likely to include cuts to programs including Medicaid, food stamps, federal employee pensions, and farm subsidies, amongst other things. A senior Israeli cabinet minister is voicing concern about the U.S.'s $110 billion arms deal with Saudi Arabia announced during this presidential trip. Yuval Steinitz says it is crucial that Israel maintain its military edge over its Arab neighbors. And the Brazilian Socialist Party has pulled out of President Michael Temer's coalition, calling now for his resignation. The party announced it was leaving the coalition yesterday. Temer says he is not going to be stepping down. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some important news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from television host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we are about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-725-1616 now and you'll receive a free copy of Josh Milberg's book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies Revealed. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of The Number One Mistakes Retirees Are Making With Their Investments Today and a free DVD on how you can get up to 33% more income in retirement. Call 800-725-1616. That's 800-725-1616. Employees of J.D. Melberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. If you have a damaged windshield, keep your family safe with a premium quality replacement and a lifetime warranty from Autoglass America. If you have comprehensive insurance, we'll buy back your old windshield for up to $100 cash on the spot, come to you with free mobile service, and install a new premium quality windshield all at no cost to you. Be safe. Call today for fast claims processing. Remember, we turn your broken glass into cold, hard cash. 813-96-GLASS. That's 813 813- 96 GLASS. Auto Glass America. Today, a mix of clouds and sun with a thunderstorm around this afternoon, high 92. Tonight, a thunderstorm in spots this evening, otherwise partly cloudy, low 76. Monday, humid with intervals of clouds and sunshine, high 89. Partly cloudy and warm Monday night, low 76. Tuesday, pleasant with clouds and sunshine, high 89. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Chris Morelli for AM 860. The answer. 
Dr. Bill, that's Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Stephen Stills, one of his uh, songs that he wrote after Judy Collins, the folk singer of the 1960s, broke up with him. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes and Helplessly Hoping, the two most uh, heard and certainly most popular of his songs about his love lost. But he moved on, and I'm sure that he was depressed. We're talking about depression this morning, and that's why I played that song. Plus, I like it. And we were just talking with Will over in Sebring, and Will's struggling with depression, as a lot of people are, and so he's going to come and see me next week. We'll see if we can get him straightened out. But what are some of the additional signs of depression? I was talking about that feeling of emptiness and the, you know that, that black pit that people look into when they're so depressed and down and the inability to enjoy anything and feeling hopeless and helpless loss of sexual desire, loss of, of eating, of food, loss of interest in food, and loss of that warm feeling that we get when we're with family or friends. And, and you know, we're, we're social animals, so we need each other. And we feel that it's our fault. We blame ourselves, or we feel guilty, or we get angry and blame other people. And our self-esteem drops, we're crying, we're not sleeping properly, we're not doing all the things that we should be doing, exercising and enjoying life. And these are some of the signs and symptoms that we run into, these changes in behaviors and attitude. Uh, things slow down for us. We neglect ourselves. And I, I was talking about a patient that I have recently uh, enrolled in the practice who has bad lung disease and heart problems, who also has some behavior which is not normal, and the family thought it was dementia, and we did the dementia screening, and that was negative. Her cognitive functions are fine. It's all emotional, and she neglects herself and her appearance, and she stares into a mirror for 30 to 40 minutes, and when I asked her why, she said, to see how ugly I am. I can't believe how ugly I am, and she really has deteriorated over the years, prematurely aged because of the smoking, and hair unkept, the family makes her bathe, so at least she comes in the office appropriately attired and not smelling bad. And I want to go home or I want to go to the hospital, which are her two main venues. There's not much else in her life. So... I talked to her and I said, look, this is a bad depression. You've been depressed for a long time. Let's get you on some medicine. And she agreed to it. And I told her, I said, if you're going to be in my practice, if I'm going to take care of your heart and lungs, we have to have the brain working as well. We have to have you engaged with me, your doctor. And she agreed. And it takes a time. It takes time often to get people to how shall I say, get in the program, so to speak, 
Because a lot of people, they don't want to take antidepressants. They see it as weakness, or they're afraid of it, or they hear reports that people kill themselves while on antidepressants. And before we start antidepressants, we certainly need to screen things and make sure that we're not missing manic depression or some psychosis. And if there's any hint of that, then you'll be sent to a specialist by your doctor. But first, for a lot of doctors, we have to gain the trust of the person who's having the emotional problems. And that's not easy. That's not easy. So that's part of the art of medicine is learning how to sell your, your, yourself and your products and uh, developing a trusting and amicable relationship with people who need that, who need that with their physician in order to follow. And none of us are perfect when it comes to taking our medication. God knows I'm not. You know, there are days I forget. There are times when I don't want to take anything. I'm tired, so I don't want to go into the bathroom at 10 at night and take my medication. I just want to roll over and go to sleep. We all do that. We all, at times, don't finish the whole package of antibiotics. So when it comes to something as serious as a major depression, one of the most important aspects of treatment is getting everybody on the same page and making sure that those pages are read and followed every day within, within the limits of our humanity, so to speak. And that lack of energy, loss of appetite, and weight problems, headaches, backaches, stomach aches, all these things start to recede. People start to feel better when they're on the right medications and they have the right support systems. And a lot of times you have to bring the family in, too, and calm everybody down and disentangle all the uh, interlocking and enmeshed uh, unhealthy relationships that have developed. And with this one patient of mine, her family berates her. You know, why don't you get up? What's wrong with you? These kinds of things. Well, that doesn't help most people. I mean, occasionally it will help, but for most of us that doesn't help. And so this poor woman has had a long-standing depression, probably all of her life, major depression. And there's other types of depression. There's dysthymia, and there's the bipolar disorder, which is the manic depressive illness. And then there's a seasonal affective disorder, which is related to shortening of the days, less sunlight. And this certainly runs in my family along with major depression. And, and you got to wonder and you got to think to yourself, well, you can't learn seasonal affective disorder. That's not that's not behavior that's that's observed and then learned, and that you do what your parents do. That's something that is endogenous. It's within us, and we know that sunlight, seeing sunlight, stimulates some of the nerves in the brain that release serotonin and norepinephrine. And that's what it's supposed to do. You know, we get up in the morning and we're awakened. Perhaps this is not so much so today because of our modern electronics. But in the old days, you woke up when the sun came up, when the sun went down, that was the end of the day. So we still have that biological rhythm within us. And if that's disturbed to the point that we are not making enough of those chemicals in our brain to keep our brain happy and healthy, then that can be from a lack of sunlight, shorter days. And this is what we call the seasonal affective disorder. 
and medications can help that. But I took the geographic cure as well as medications, and I moved down to Florida. And my life's much better. I can get out every day of the year and ride my bicycle, rain, sunshine, whatever. It's warm enough that I can stay active. There's more sunlight most of the year. And so seasonal affective disorder is a real and serious condition for a lot of people. Now, major depression, this can cause all the symptoms we've talked about above. It can begin suddenly. It can be triggered by an event, a loss, or, or by going into battle or running in a campaign and losing or losing a loved one or a job or a spouse. It interferes with our functioning. It continues for often for months and years. And it's possible for somebody to have one episode, get through it, and not have problems for decades. However, you can have recurrent episodes or it can become a chronic problem, and that's when medical help and medication is, is in order. A dysthymia, people may be consistently and mildly depressed for a good part of their life. They function fairly well on a daily basis. They get their job done. But over time, relationships and self-esteem suffer. Negative attitudes. Spouses and friends say, you know, I, I can't put up with this. This is there, There's never a smile on your face. You get everything done, but there doesn't seem to be any joy in your life. And I need somebody who has a sense of enjoyment, who has a sense of, of interaction, who feels like they're in the game, and, and this is tough. It's tough to live with somebody like that. Well, the answer may be to get them somewhere where they can get some help. Now, bipolar disorder, this is an inherited problem. It's also known as manic depression, and this is when there are mood swings back and forth between depression and elation, mania, like an extreme high, and sometimes people are agitated and irritable with this, and they're impulsive. They need less sleep. They're overconfident. They have racing thoughts. Their behavior becomes reckless. They go on shopping sprees or gambling sprees or binging on this or that. Their energy is increased, and the mood changes can be sudden or gradual. And they can swing back into a, a deep depression. And there are people who have manic depressive illness that will display predominantly one of the emotional affects, either depression or mania, most of the time. So we have to tease that out. We have to send these folks for further testing by the psychologists and psychiatrists. And as I said before, seasonal affective disorder, it coincides with changes in the seasons. As the days get shorter, the depression comes back and gets worse. But there's help. And there's no shame in asking for help. You know, we, we can't do everything on our own. I can't move a 10-ton boulder on my own. I have to go rent a piece of equipment big enough to handle it. And so I'm seeking help from the people who develop the equipment, from the rental yard that rents me the equipment, from the guy in the back of the rental yard who shows me how to work the controls, to the guy that built my truck 
and the hitch that goes on it so I can pull that piece of equipment to my lot and get that 10-ton boulder moved. And so there are a lot of people involved in what would seemingly be a one-man job because I can unload and load a piece of equipment that size off of my truck. I can get a little tractor or a little track hoe or backhoe, and I have done these things. And seemingly, I can do this on my own, but I'm not. I'm not doing it on my own. And it's the same with our emotions. It's the same with our interactions with each other. We need each other, and we need each other's help. And there are professional people now who can render that help and make life better for us. The medications have gotten infinitely better, and they're only going to get better and better, assuming healthcare continues on its current track of discovery and innovations. So there, there's plenty of help. You just got to be willing to go get help. Sometimes we're so down, we're so low, that we don't see any way out of it. And that's when somebody has to step in and say, you're going, come here. Phone numbers you can call for the suicide helpline. Every city has that. And the treatment is not just medical. There's also talking therapy, psychotherapy. I know it sounds like a big word with a lot of mystery and aura and negativity attached to it. But it's just simple counseling, and this can help a lot of depressed people, and it helps them have some insight into their their behavior and what's causing them to terrible to themselves or to other people. That's the beauty of being able to interact with each other, of being social animals. We can help each other see deeper into the problem. It's the same way with that piece of equipment I rented to move that 10-ton boulder. I call back to the rental yard and talk to the guy in the back, and I say, hey, Joe, I can get it started, and I can run the, the track hoe. I can make it go forwards and backwards. But I forgot what you told me about handling the, the front end, the, the bucket on the front end. How do I get that to go up and down and flip it back and forth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot, man. I forgot. Thanks. Thanks for helping me. See, that's the beauty of it. And somebody may have some knowledge that you and I don't have, and we have to go ask them for that knowledge, whether it's how to take care of my heart or get my blood pressure down or move this boulder or build a house or get over this uh, feeling of emptiness that I have. And we can do it. And we have to do it. We have to do it not only for ourselves, but for the people that we're interacting with. Because, you know, suicide is its a terrible, terrible thing. Of course, the person that has killed themselves, they're, they're, their day is over. It's all done. But the rest of us have to stay here and live with it and feel the loss and the guilt and the anger and all the negative emotions that come with this kind of a tragedy in a family. And so we have a responsibility to others as well as to ourselves. 
Now, talk therapy can be interpersonal therapy. It can be from a minister. It can be from a friend who has some instincts about how to be empathetic and show concern and help us see what the problem could be and direct us maybe to go see a doctor or a professional. Cognitive therapy is another type of therapy to help change negative thinking, sort of like reprogramming, retuning. is a good day, and I tell myself that over and over. I'm okay. I can handle this. I'm not going to booklets. You can get online material. And I just stood there and would reaffirm that, that I'm okay. Does that mean that I was a perfect human being? No, I was a terrible husband in my last marriage. But at some point we have to forgive ourselves and move on, and that's part of getting over that depression and the impulsivity of it, of wanting to hurt somebody else or hurt ourselves or escape. So that negative thinking has to be reprogrammed, kind of like brainwashing ourselves, And a good psychotherapist, if you are seeing somebody, will have affirmations for you. Or you can get them from your minister, or your rabbi, or your priest. You can get it from people in the community who do mental health counseling, social workers. And again, there's medications which I think are just so invaluable in this day and age and have helped so many people, including myself. And I can't say enough about this. And I can't say enough. Does it work for everybody? Well, of course not. But for most people, it's very, very helpful. So it's something that we need to consider. And we know that the medications are much safer with less side effects than the old-timey medications. And if you know someone who has depression or symptoms of depression, take action. See the doctor. Take them with you. Go to counseling. Talk things over with an understanding friend or family members. Student services. A lot of the big companies have counseling. A lot of the major industries have counseling. So that's that's there for you. And don't expect to, to be better overnight. Take a break. Give yourself time. Give time time. Get some exercise. That helps kick up those hormones in the brain that are good things and make us feel better and avoid the the stressful parts of your life. If you can quit drinking or cut down on it, get active, eat right, sleep right, get a routine. Routines are good. They're good. And seek help, seek help. That's so important for us. We need help. Things to avoid. Don't make long-term commitments or important decisions unless you have no choice. Don't assume things are hopeless. Don't engage in emotional reasoning because I feel awful. My life is terrible. Don't assume responsibility for things you can't control. Don't avoid treatment and don't be critical of yourself and avoid criticism of others. We're close to the end here, aren't we, Bill? Ten seconds. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. It's been good. Thanks, Will. 
Catch you later, guys. Well, all right now, gather around. It's auction time, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show, Burchard Galleries. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.